Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, as usual, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek, and you all travel with you. Where are you today? You went Switzerland last week. I could live off your frequent flyer points, live off it. I could buy food, accommodation, <laughs> yeah. and fly around the world with it. So you can't say I'm the world traveler. However, I'm in <laughs> London today. <laughs> Fantastic. No, I think, you know, one aspect of this is, again, to bring the global perspective. So love to, uh, on this episode, love to get your experience on the ground reality of where things are. So again, welcome mm. to the show, Derek, from, from London. Mm. Mm. Thank you. So. We've just finished a week in Geneva and Zurich. They were pretty solid appointments. We would have had close to 20 appointments during that period of time, family offices and also, you know, banks. I mean, Switzerland's got two and a half thousand banks in it in that little town. It's the, it's the world of banks. And it's surprising, surprising in the fact that they're who that, that Switzerland's ahead, Europe's ahead, regulations are in place and continuing to enhance the trading environment. And the interest, as I said last week, of having our fund on their platforms was based around the premise that the market is in a bear market. It's unlikely to stay in that for too long. So this is when funds and investors should get into place. So that's why they're wanting us to be on their platform during a bear market period. So that's very good. What's also good is when you're actually doing presentations that the market behaves itself for a week, which is unusual for crypto to do anything <laughs> that is behaving itself. But for the last week, it has behaved itself. And since our last show, we've seen Bitcoin go up to $30,660 just a few moments ago, this being England Tuesday. And that's a 9% rise and ETH has gone up to 1900 and that's an 8% rise. And, and I think this is around the clarification or maybe the enthusiasm of BlackRock putting in its request to establish the first ETF. And also, yeah. of course, around the SEC approval of, of the first ever leveraged Bitcoin futures ETF. And also around, of course, EDX exchange coming into place with really some of the biggest names in, in this, this sort of crypto world, you know, stating that they intend to to create an exchange. You know, the likes of Fidelity, Swab, Paradigm, Sequoia Capital and Citadel. I mean, they are the giants. And so I think yeah. that's given at least traditional investors the view that these guys are coming into the market and Nitin, they're not coming in for summer. They're coming in for long term. Why would you establish an exchange like that? Yeah. So, so, so the world here <laughs> seems to be in the UK all about the fact that the UK wants to be on the front foot with its regulations coming through. It's, it's left this sort of absurd paradigm of stating that the regulations should be under, heaven forbid, gambling regulations. 
and it's left that and taken it over to the FCA and looked towards regulations there. And that's giving confidence to some of the investors we're meeting with. Nitin, you're all over this. What do you think is happening here? And, and do you think the UK is genuinely putting its front foot forward to be first and early? No, no, I, I, I was hoping to get some more nuggets from your UK trip in terms of the sentiment. So to me, mm. yes, I spent a lot of time, of course, my my work, but also, you know, the work that I do with our clients, which is the investment managers and asset managers in this entire ETF business. And incidentally, we had a Coinbase conference this week in New York, and some of the stats that came out of Coinbase conference was that 30% of top hedge funds are Coinbase customers, which means these are just like what asset management is. They're focusing heavily as not just traditional asset classes or what they call as alt category and focusing more on crypto. And 20% of Americans, which is about 50 million, own crypto. Half of the Fortune 100 companies are you know, doing something in blockchain, which is... So to me, the notion of the institutions getting into, into DLT blockchain and crypto assets is becoming mainstream. And, 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 and one thing I loved what you said, Derek, is... It's winter. It's still crypto winter. It's it's long term, mm. and exactly the messaging that you may have heard in Switzerland that we should list, you know, your funds on different platforms during winter, so you're ready for the summer when the market mm. is the upside. And ETF galore. I mean, this week alone, of course, BlackRock was the headlines yeah. in terms of having a spot ETF. But then you also again had Wall Street shares. You had Pro shares. You had Wisdom Tree. You had Grayscale. You had Fidelity all wine for spot BDC ETFs. And what's also interesting is, this is to your point of Bitcoin reaching above $30,000, which is, it's been a while, um, mm. is that ProShares sort of ETF, which is ticker BITO, which is a future ETF still because it was approved. It recorded the highest weekly inflows uh, last week, which is, you know, which had led to this 30,000 mark. So I think there is a little bit of the demand curve that's dictating these things. And there are many reasons for it. And I'm happy to share a few calls I've been on with some of the, these are webinars that happened with a lot of central bankers, bankers opined on their policy impact on investment vehicles and investment strategies and hedge, you know, hedge against inflation and monetary policies and impact of those policies and everything else. And of course, those central bankers, they wouldn't want to openly talk about crypto per se, but the, the, the net net of that conversation, Derek, which was Interesting because there were some amazingly brilliant people talking about the fact that cash is still the best bet for many of the risk-off categories of, of, of investment instruments because they still give you the five, six percent, which even gold has not been able to deliver that in short, short run. On the long run, gold has done that, which has traditionally been considered as, as inflation hedge. Mm. So I'm looking at a few things, right? Coinbase, even though they are again under SEC sort of lawsuit for the for operating you know an entity that's not registered for dealing with it's you know securities they are still a prime brokerage they're still custodian they still have a lot of tech they are actually a very viable public company a, a player that's playing by the books so whatever the clarity they have mm. and they have started this amazing sort of evolution in this institutional presence on their platform you have a massive, not just futures ETF, but also filing of spot ETF and they found a loophole in terms of sharing surveillance data between, you know, from a actively traded, which is NASDAQ in this case, which gives them a hope for spot ETF. Uh, eventually, and there's something else happened today that you should know as, as in terms of EU, which is where you were last week, 
even though mm-hmm. Switzerland is not part of EU, but in the region, I would, I would say is that they signed a deal on crypto bank capital rules, which I'll, I'll discuss in a few minutes, that in, in, in many cases, you find this globe coming together and in settling down and, and accepting to say, we need to understand this and move on with it. And to me, all the news items that we've talked about you know, on this, on this podcast so far are an indication of that acceptance to say, we need to start understanding this and accepting this as, as an asset class. And that is very positive. And eventually when you have all these big names, again, Grayscale, Fidelity, BlackRocks, Wisdom Tree, Volatility Shares, ProShares, from traditional finance, there is a momentum behind it and there is a push. And now it's actually business at that point. It's no longer mm-hmm. about some nefarious activity that is perceived to be happening on Bitcoin ecosystem or anything else. And that is positive. Of course, there is a second school of thought from crypto perspective, and I'll, I'll share that, but I'll pause here first and see if that resonates with that thinking or at least that same theme in, in Europe. Mm, it does very much so. We, when we've been discussing with these different groups, and they're quite different from you know, investors, <laughs> wealth managers, family offices, and, 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 and banks, they, their first natural human instinct is to look at price. Oh, the price has dropped X number of percent, 80%, let's say for some of the alts, 90%, and 50 or 60% for, for our primes. And, and human nature thinks then the value has dropped at the same time. And there's a difference between price and value, isn't there, Nitin? And and so very much we look at this and turn around and say, yes, during 2022, the price dropped. But during 2022, the user base went up 39% worldwide to 430 million users. And we saw a lot of growth in the marketplace, utilization in the marketplace, just over that 12 month period of time. So I'm glad to see that that this continued conversations occurring and it's outside price. And it's also the other thing we need to look at is that we saw some conversations in the press and media about pulling back from the statement that Bitcoin could possibly be a hedge against inflation because of its recent volatility. It's dropped from 65 down to $30,000. It couldn't possibly hedge against inflation. I think that's very unfair. And the reason why is they're taking a time span of 18 months as if 18 months is the hedge against inflation. And the hedge against inflation should be a time period of three, four, five years that sits in place, in which case Bitcoin has proven to be exceptionally good as a hedge against inflation over that period of time. So I just sort of preference the fact that sometimes these narratives out there that are turning around and saying, let's not talk about it being a hedge against inflation, price went down a lot, therefore it's bad, belittles the fact that even the smart nations are getting together and they're planning for this future and they're planning for exchanges, they're planning for regulations because they're not concerned or they're not engaged at the least with the up and down aspect of the last 12 months. They're planning to have this industry in place. And in the case of the rhetoric I hear, rhetoric or conversation I hear out of the UK, they want to be on the front foot. And we've also heard that same position with the UAE, they want to be on the front foot. They want to be the first in there. Well, if you're getting a number of nations like Switzerland and Zorg, and we visited Zorg on the way, and and we we visit, you know, the likes of 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 you know into Geneva and 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 we're talking with Dubai all the time. These nations are really positive about being out there in the front. So I just sort of throw that in because it's all wrapped around what regulations are, are trying to create to make the space work, knowing that it's not about the last 12 months. 
Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, what's another interesting thing is that you still like, while you have the investment community trying to sway the regulators and the banking sort of supervision authorities, right? And so something interesting happened this week, which was a mess because of all the excitement of the ETF, was EU sealed the deal on this crypto bank capital rules. So there's a there's a little rule in, in so this is all about BCBS, which stands for Basel Committee for Banking Supervision. And the idea behind BCBS or Basel 1, 2, 3, now you have Basel 4, these are all sort of the, I would say, some of the supervision rules that governs the financial stability. And you have agencies like FADF and Financial Stability Board and the alphabet soup of regulators. But the whole idea there is that how do you consider bank too, too risky and too big to fail? And, and what do you need to maintain? So we had stress test after yes. after the financial crisis and, and this BCBS, uh, essentially every so often provides rules to say, hey, you need to have so much risk capital in the sense that if you're lending out so this fractional reserve, if you're lending out so much money, you need to have at least 30, 40% of what you lend out as a part of your liquidity that you know, reserves that you need to maintain in the event you have liquidations and to prevent bank runs. And that number keeps going up every year. Unfortunately, every so often, the, the magnitude of those failures actually, despite so your, 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 your assertion of, of price and value is certainly well received there because price is what you pay value is what you get so if mm. you're borrowing if you're maintaining this high value capital the, the you know as the whether it's inflation induced or duration risk whatever the case may be it does impact the banking system so this week so in the us you have this whole thing of sab 121 which said that for every one dollar of custody you need to keep one dollar of assets so if i'm keeping 10 billion dollars worth of crypto in my in as a custodian i have to keep a billion dollar aside in the event of that to be failing. Now you can imagine the gross misuse of capital, unlocked the value of locked capital because you can't do anything with the capital and, and yes. at least through. So, so this BCBS requires this whole element of what they call as prudential treatment of assets or prudential regime for crypto assets to say, you need to keep, you know, uh, give the maximum possible of 1250% risk weight to free floating cryptocurrencies, which means that you have to have 12, you know, I would say 120% of the value of the capital that you're dealing with kept aside. And I can only imagine that that ruling in the US, you have SAP 21, the, you know, the regulatory sort of college of regulators around the world are still focused on financial stability around this. What's ironic, you know, what's the, you know, what's the irony here is that if you look at the crypto lending system, this is the early days of Maker and many of the sort of lending protocols, they already have an over collateralized model. So there's yes. no, yeah. they have never been, they've been frauds, but they've never been, you know, this whole element of potential failures, because the moment you have a big, you know, below a certain 100% threshold, the liquidation event actually happens, which means that your asset is liquidated and you have to collateralize. So to borrow hundred bucks, you've got to put $120 because the focus is on utility of the asset and the ecosystem that the asset belongs to. I found it super interesting that they're still trying to address with these older vehicles and older systems, to tame the velocity potential and the markets that the newer asset classes are dealing with. And they still haven't taken the time to understand the velocity of assets, the volume of assets, the, the market behaviors, and who are the players in this ecosystem. And I, I found that, that they, have, they need to spend some time studying those elements before they just pass this blanket rule for prudential regulation so, of these assets, per se. Do you think that is ignorance? Do you think that is strategic? 
what's the what's the appropriate sort of intent there that they're doing that is you know strategic meaning well that's just not going to work financially for a for a custodian so therefore custodianship won't work here and therefore cryptocurrency is not going to work in the usa ignorance they don't understand how the crypto area environment works which yeah. one do you think it is i know it's a bit of a topic so or i certainly a, don't you know but which yeah. one is it I certainly don't think it's ignorance, Derek, because there's enough education now. We've been this at this now for 15th year now in mm. a row, so it's not exactly people don't know how. And I think there's a little bit of the fact that you know that you're the apparatus and you're the establishment, and you have to ensure that you're doing everything in your power to keep this at bay. Because mm. at the end of the day, this is disrupting not just the financial institutions, it's not just disrupting all the financial intermediaries, which is what mm. blockchain-led systems are, but it, it is also disintermediating the regulators that govern the same intermediaries that have that have that has evolved over time there's a little bit of that there's also a little bit of the political which is what we've seen in the us consistently right that there's a political weight behind to say hey we need to we need to still have this ability to be able to pass policies and 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 engage with how the world has been engaging over time and there's always a political gift to get which leads to all these policies and all these other elements that are that are still governed. Which, again, at that level of of risk weighting, you know, risk weighted average for asset for potential regime, I can only imagine that the emerging economies, it's practically impossible for them because, you know, yeah. they don't have the kind of capital to do. So I'm just wondering who does it really hurt? And at the end of the day, you know, the crypto industry doesn't really care. Crypto industry, if you look at the decentralized exchanges and where we have lending protocols and, and DeFi protocols. They are not exactly governed by the prudential treatment of these, you know, prudential regulation that has come over time. They have their own sort of focus, which is over collateralized lending and collateral management is more effective and things are more instant. Yes. They're, not, they're not waiting for end of day valuation to come to make a liquidation or, 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 you know, ask for margin call. It's happening almost instantly because that information is fed through these protocols in, in real time. That's right. So also what we've we've been seeing is is you know clearly the investment industry wants a set of regulations and they realize the regulations will roll out progressively the uk has has said it's possible that the fca might be able to get a set of detailed regulations out within 12 months that's pretty impressive what do you think the chances of that are so uh, that's also interesting right because if you look at the various efforts that have happened around the world, including WADA, which is very progressive in terms of registration opening up. There is the set of global regulations, FSB, Financial Stability Board, FATF, Financial Action Task Force, BIS. Some of them are global agencies, which means that if you have to participate in global financial systems, you have to adhere to some of these well, things like travel rule or prudential regulation, Basel for implementation with all banking. And if you're not, then it becomes very hard for you to participate in this global economic force, which is buying and selling commodities and, and having access to the global financial system, because mm. if a banking system is not resilient, then it's hard to get money in, money out, right? And so regardless of what they pass in their jurisdiction or sovereign nations, whether it's registration regime or whether it's freedom to do business in certain areas, when it comes to global financial system, I don't think any single country can operate on its own unless you're North Korea, Iran, which has already have enough sanctions that don't mm. even care about the system per se. But if you're any of the Singapore or, Bar or Dubai or whatever, you still have to ensure that you're adhering to the travel rule regulation, which is or AML regime or any of the other elements, because that is really 
to ensure that you're curbing finance for nefarious activities, but also ensuring that you're doing the you know your customer process and you're ensuring the money is not being utilized for laundering purposes and so on and so forth. That doesn't change at all. So at some point, all these regulations that are inviting to the startups, they're like what Japan has done, for instance, right? Japan has done as a national tax agency has certified that crypto issuers will not have to pay capital gains taxes. Well, it does a few things for them for now, right? It, it, it attracts enormous amount because again, it's a global platform and every country is competing for capital and talent and, and businesses because that helps yes. them stay relevant in the global scheme of things. So they're attracting, again, projects, technology, and, and while they're saying that you may lose money on capital gains tax, but we're creating jobs. We are attracting capital investment that comes in. We are participating in the innovation and that compensates for the lack of capital gains tax. They make up tax in other ways. People are staying in place, they're spending money on restaurants and living in an apartment. And so they're, they're able to make one way or the other. So a lot of these initiatives, I think, is to attract talent, capital, innovation. And I think the focus is less on disrupting the global financial system, at least from my vantage point, but at least they have some clarity to say, hey, you can come and do business here and we'll give you some framework for you to come and operate in our countries. And you don't have to worry about any fear of reprisal or any fear of prosecution because you're afoul of running this business, for instance. I mean, we've seen cases where developers have been jailed because they were part of some tornado cash. This is the Netherlands and everything else. And we're like, mm. he's just a person writing code, which has been established in the US that code is free speech. So there's a little bit of some of that stuff, but I, th- I don't think you can escape that global financial system only because it drastically inhibits your probability to, if, if, if a country is deemed high risk, it becomes incredibly hard for that, for the businesses in that country to, to be able to, to buy and sell internationally. Mm. Nitin, we've been talking about the likelihood of the US falling behind and other nations actually setting up preferential, attractive opportunities to, to come and develop crypto in their nation for about probably a year now, when we've really seen the step backs of what's been happening in the USA since, since Biden's executive order of March in 2022. Wow, it's happening very fast, isn't it? When you see Japan yes, stepping forward and doing that, it's happening really fast. These nations really are stepping ahead and saying, come and develop here. I, I visited Zug when I was in Switzerland and not far away from Zurich. And Zug is a you know a vibrant modern town. The shed, which doesn't look like a shed, is is a, you know in the middle of a of a very built up, um, advanced you know sort of commercial zone. There's brand new apartment buildings all around the place. And our longtime agent there in in Switzerland said said seven to ten years ago this was a little town. This was nothing like it is now. It's not vibrant. It's not, you know, there weren't apartment buildings getting built all around the place. It wasn't all these office blocks getting here. So this has happened because Zug has turned around and said, we want cryptocurrency coming to it. And not only that, but we'll create a canton of very low interest, sorry, very low tax. And so, yes, it does make a difference. Apparently it's turned Zug around from a small town to a vibrant commercial center in less than a decade. By the way, so, while I was yeah. while I was there, I had an opportunity to visit a bank, a digital bank. There's a couple of digital banks in 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 Switzerland, and 
and they said they said why don't you come down and have a look at our cold storage and of course being a tech guy i thought this is just going to be a great thing to do you know i was expecting to step into a room with buzzing computers all around the place etc and he stood me in front of a door and he said look there it is and there's a door with a small glass window looking at another door with a small glass window that then looks at another door with a small glass window and then finally it looks at another door with a small <laughs> glass window <laughs> This is cold storage. In the center of that hive, there's a server not connected to the internet, not connected to anything but power that is operating there. And I thought it was just superb to see. It really is the kind of worlds of vaulted Fort Knoxes, but of digital assets instead of gold. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the, in many cases, I spend a lot of time with technology and, and at some point, Derek, we need to dedicate at least one of these podcast sessions to the world of zero knowledge proofs, the world of quantum computing. And, and I've recently written a bunch mm. of articles on this as to what is the impact of this on what we're doing, because all the plumbing that the existing financial system is built upon is if, if that plumbing itself is at risk, which eventually it will be because the cost of computing and the Moore's law and, and the combination of all these Metcalfe's yes. law come to come to life and the advancements in what we begin to see in post, post-quantum cryptography, it, it is at risk. So I think some of those, those things you do is just to me, not to, you know, no pun intended, a window <laughs> into, <laughs> into the future of where technology is heading and what we need to do to prepare for that digital yes. version of value that we, that we aspire to keep from that perspective. But internationally, I think, and one thing I would say that while we may have this blip, whether it's political or whether it's current administration's lack of imagination, lack of thinking or political motive, whatever the case may be, from a technology innovation perspective, I think the US is still there. We are still, we have an infrastructure that allows us to be able to compete. We have a lot of intellectual capital, especially in context of, and these are export control technologies, things like quantum and cryptography and so on and so forth. And yes, there's also other rising powers in the world because that gap is shrinking. I think it's just a matter of time that this tidal wave can be turned around with some sensible policies and sensible administrators and maybe a, a set of you know lawmakers who understand the space, who are actually in tune uh, so I'm hoping that maybe the next two years, because we have the same administration, same actors, same players, same thinking, perhaps when you have change of guard, that may change and you could then attract all these entities that have gone to Singapore and Dubai and now with London where you are, which which certainly mm. the A16Z moving there. I'm hoping that's the case over time. But, but at the end of the day, if you look at the crypto itself, which is to your point of global, and we are truly a global team because either you're traveling or I'm traveling and we bring the global perspective to our audiences, Mm. But this morning, uh, you know, Coindesk published this Crypto Hub 23, and they had a list of 23 places that you could actually go and work, and they have listed the strengths of them. Of course, Zug is number one in that list, mm. where Ethereum mm. was born, and then you have Singapore, London, Seoul, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and of course, Wyoming. They haven't mentioned US, but they mentioned mm. Wyoming and Silicon Valley because Wyoming yeah. is at their regulatory and, and Silicon Valley because of the tech sort of element from that perspective. But if you look at the, of course, Binance has ex- experienced heavy sort of headwinds in many jurisdictions the same week, and that's considered effort between, let's say, US and Europe and so on and so forth. And then, of course, Bybit and OKX have exited Canada. Gemini announced that it would drastically boost their headcount in Singapore, for instance, and A16Z has moved to London. 
crypto is in the move. And mm-hmm. the beauty is unlike manufacturing or unlike, you know, the like of Walmarts, it's easy for these tech companies to move because at the end of the day, you're dealing with global infrastructure, whether it's custody or whether it's crypto, it's easy. The mobility of these companies is easy from let's say US to, yes. to, to Dubai or Dubai yes. back to the US. And so the question we should be asking ourselves is, is countries have to work harder to not only attract, but retain the talent, the business, the capital, because easy come, easy go. And I, I think about that sometimes, Eric. Yeah, no, you're very right. And although, you know, we, we're giving, I'd like to just clarify, we're giving the US regulators a hard time. And frankly, I think they deserve it. We're not giving they the US do, a hard do. time. They do deserve yeah. it. And they're not giving the US a hard time because really, in fact, it was probably the epicenter of the creation of this area of cryptocurrency. It was certainly the major aspect, the major country that developed so much of it, which is typical of the US, entrepreneurship, available money in the form of VC money, building of teams, they move very fast. It's success, I'll move on is, is an American attitude. So so I, I my gut feeling is, that we're going to see regulation around the world enhance and grow rapidly over the next 18 to 24 months. And America realize it's just out of step and and a change occur and it stepped back in and it's done putting sensible regulations in. Hey, Nitin, uh, Zephos is traveling with us today. Oh, um, that's amazing, a, yeah. He's a great guy and he's a member of our team. He's a data scientist. He's been actively involved with, with large language models, which has been fascinating, ChatGPT. And of course, he works with IBM. And he's Greek, Petros Zephos, right? And he says to me, crypto, cryptography stands for hiding the words. Hiding yeah. crypto, Greek hiding, and then cryptography, the words. And, and he and I were throwing some ideas around we think it probably needs to be rebranded. <laughs> I think that, that something that starts with hiding is probably not the best thing. And we could rebrand it to another name. I'm not, I'm not going to throw around a dozen names today, but it'll be interesting to see whether, whether this world does start evolving past the statement of cryptocurrencies, which we know is so limited because it just relates to, it just relates to transaction of currencies rather than rather than, you know, security tokens and utility tokens and non-fungible tokens and all the business models that come to that. But yeah, what do you think? No, I so saw, first of all, <laughs> huge fan of Petros. In fact, mm. I think he's one of the smartest people I've, I've known over time. Yeah. I've, I've, I got to work with him in Future of Finance when I was leading that and Petros and me was to work together in understanding as to what need is needed for the world to move towards truly digital digital transaction and you know, developing AI models that allows us to be keeping up with the rapid transaction volumes that's about to grow and this lasted yes. in the same theme. So we would spend hours and hours talking about this. In fact, he worked with one of our clients and nothing short of brilliant. So I, I envy yeah. that you get to spend time with him. Yeah. And But I think he's he's right I and mean, he's Greek, and which means he understands <laughs> the, the gravity of this. And I also think things like blockchain and crypto, they should remove these names and we should have much more simple simplified element that that you know and this is the nature of the beast itself right when we simplify it there is a sense of understanding of this the word crypto as you mentioned itself fears scares away many people who don't have to understand cryptography to understand the essence of what the technology is trying to do and same with blockchain blockchain is not exactly the most amenable and easy term to understand so i think we should change these names as a part of marketing effort 
But like anything else, Derek, there's no centralized entity behind this to make those decisions. It's no. the community that have to. And, and we have enough jargons in this. We have zero knowledge proofs and they've taken many terms and hodl and buildle. And so it's, mm. you simply have to stew in it to focus on it. But I, I, for, I think there should be a marketing effort funded by crypto community to change these names to make, they make it fun and attractive. So people have a friendlier attitude towards it just as a, as a psyche, I think. Yeah. <laughs> agreed, agreed. So anyway, if anyone comes up with a great name for the entire industry, by all means, ping us and tell us. We also saw around this difference between price and value. We also saw that in the last, you know, in, in from 2020, we've seen Australia, because we often talk about this, rise from 8% ownership throughout its population to 18% ownership in this population. This is nearly one in five of all of Australians own it too. So, and you've just said, that that's about the same percentage that the US own now too in crypto, about one in five yeah. people in, in the US own crypto. I would have thought that was quite an anxious period to think <laughs> about, you know, the one in five voters there, you don't want to really push it out the door on the way through. But at the beginning of all of this, we, I sort of wanted to riddle a question to you because I'm a little bit perplexed about this. And it's interesting how it's happened. Maybe they're just late followers that have done this. So we've seen Bitcoin go up. We've seen Ethereum go up. We've seen these ETFs, future ETFs, proposed ETFs. We've seen the EDX exchange come into place. And then in the last week, we saw Aave go up to $63.67 or 23% or rise. So Aave is a decentralized exchange. And we also saw Uniswap rise 16% in the last week. And this is above and beyond the rest of the alt market in general terms. And both of these are decentralized exchanges. So with all this focus we've been putting on centralized exchanges, here are the two leading DEXs go up in price. Why do you think it suddenly happened, Nitin? Yeah, I actually looked at that too, right? For example, Aave is a lending platform and, and Uniswap as, as a decentralized exchange. A few things. One is the general thesis around Bitcoin as a benchmark asset reaching 30,000, it, it suddenly uplifts all these. So there's a little bit of that effect. Mm, Second mm, effect, mm. If, you, if you notice that a lot of layer two protocols were deemed securities. So a lot of exchanges ended up delisting them in effort to comply with any SEC action that may go, whether they are tied to US or tied to US consumers who are on those platforms. So, uh, you know, of course, all the US exchanges and many of the European exchanges like eToro all have delisted the layer two protocols. So. If you look at some of the thesis that we were discussing in terms of permissibility of assets as to what is the, our, our playground that we'd like to focus on, we had focused on things like, for example, the longevity of the protocol and the revenue potential of these protocols and how long they've been in the business, what is the TVL. And if you were to remove some of the layer two protocols, which were quite viable as investment instruments, mm. I think then you're left with just a few. And Uniswap and, and Aave, for instance, have been long-running projects. They have mm. defined value for the system, whether it's a, it's a, it's a lending protocol or decentralized exchange or, or collateralized lending that, that actually happens on these platforms. And second thing is liquidity and volumes, that they are still on exchanges. And in absence of centralized exchanges meeting its fullest potential because of regulatory risks due to the SEC injunction for many of these tokens, a lot of business move decentralized exchanges because they don't have the same you know, you could still have liquidity in decentralized exchanges because they're decentralized and, and you may not have the same level of enforcement that you could have on a centralized exchange. And of course, then you have the, the inflation narrative that, again, that pushed all the, all the, you know, the crypto up. 
And then you have certain other elements of, of Bitcoin moving up due to the ETF and due to other news uh, items. So to me, it's a combinatorial effect that has pushed these viable projects up from that perspective. And I think it's a, it's a great thing because that leads to development and it leads to better understanding yes. the fact that we need to have a better, whether it's a marketplace or secondary market, which is not tied to a, a CFI only. CFI mm. play an important role, Derek, but I think yep. it's in alternative areas for us to be able to explore and look into this. And that's true for all DeFi projects for that matter, who are truly decentralized. Yes, very true. Hey, coming at the end of our show, next week I'm in Singapore. Oh my and... God, you're just, you're just teasing now. You're just showing off, Derek. This was, this was happening here. You're just showing off. And I, as I, I envy that. As I said, I can live <laughs> off your frequent flyer points. But nonetheless, it's going to be very interesting because we're meeting with family officers and we're also meeting with some advisors to regulators in, in, in Singapore. So I'm very keen to have a conversation with them and share that with where, what I'm allowed to share with on Bitcoin next week. So we'll get a Singapore perspective of what's happening. We'll see whether their enthusiasm is much the same as we're seeing here in the UK. And we're also seeing out of Switzerland and this Thursday coming, we're attending the, the hedge week conference for digital assets here in London. And, and that will be excellent. In fact, we're, we're, we've, we've been granted a, an, an award there as the most consistent wow, performing, yeah, the most consistent performing yeah. fund of funds in the digital asset space over the last three years. So we're, we're delighted to receive that. So Petros and I and, and Mark will be there. And so we'll get a oh sense God, of what, that, is what so that, cool. that sort of world is going to be like too. So let's, let's share that all next week and see what, to see what Singapore, see where the Singapore is to vibrant. It. Yeah, And I'm sending a few guys along your way on the Hedge Week. And of course, you're in Singapore. So I do have some colleagues who's to work with me at IBM. Alan Lim, who is in MAS, you should meet him. I'll make the connection. Charu, of course, who has been our guest here several times. She's in Singapore. And of course, Wonderful. a colleague of mine at, at State Street. So I'll make all the connections and you should definitely meet me up with them, Derek. <laughs> Terrific. And there's one last thing I'd say, and that is that if I'm ever thinking about creating a minestrone soup or rather an alphabet soup, <laughs> you're the guy I'm going to invite around. <laughs> If I ever thought yeah. to myself, I'm running out of alphabet abbreviations, I'm going to bring I'm, I'm your around. guy. <laughs> I'm your guy. <laughs> Good on you, Nitin. I'll see you next week. All right. Take care, Derek. Take Bye for now. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.